Welcome to Hour of Champions. I'm Steve Warner, former bond trader turned entrepreneur. In each episode, it is our goal to help people reclaim their courage by connecting them to their physical, mental, and spiritual greatness. Join us as we help reshape our stories and become the heroes of our own personal journey. Here we are. Good morning and welcome to Hour of Champions podcast. I keep get lucky, getting luckier and luckier with um, with the people that I get to um, bring on here. Kim Witzak is a uh, is a friend of mine who I met um, through another serendipitous way. I was set a few years ago doing a Google search on the effects of antidepressants uh, because of my own personal journey, and I stumbled upon an article that she had written on LinkedIn. And I remember saying to my wife, "I have to meet this woman." And my wife said to me, how are you going to do it? And I said, I'm going to find her and I'm going to connect with her. And I did. And I remember Kim reaching out on LinkedIn, asking if, uh, if you would connect and allow me to share my story. And you did. And we become friends. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, it's amazing. You've introduced me to, to an amazing uh, group of Spartan people that have really played a major influence in my life. So I'm very grateful for that. And welcome. Well, thank you. Good morning. Good to see you. And you are in exactly, I know you're in Minnesota, but where about exactly? I'm in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis. Minneapolis. And Kim is a morning warrior, uh, just like me. She's been up. We, uh, we conversed last night a bit and I know that she was, uh, she likes um, boxing and uh, all kind of crazy workouts. So I know she got that in this morning and um, you have an amazing story. You really do. Uh, uh, certainly a story of, um, of heartache and um, and then you know a passion for creating awareness and that's how we that's how we found each other and you know what you've accomplished to date and your just your heroic approach to life and uncovering um, things that um, were not made public uh, certainly that I didn't know about that might have changed my journey had I known um, you know and what you do on a day to day basis is just uh, our heroic approach to life, and I'm I'm super blessed to have you here to share your story. So um, I'm going to ask you to take it from however you want. Great. Well, first of all, thank you because you actually what you just said uh, when you told your wife, "How am I going to meet her? Like, how are you going to meet her?" And you're like, "I'm going to do it like I do and everything else, which is I'm just going to approach it and and and." see what happens. And that's exactly what has happened in my life. And it's kind of that same attitude. So I love, um, I love what you do, Steve. And I love um, our connection and our friendship that we've had in these last couple of years. So thanks for having me on. Uh, so I would say my life looked very different 14, 15 years almost um, ago than it does today. And it, you know, it's a story of obviously my heartache, but it's also been the story of the journey from being this person that I was before this situation to who I am today. So it um, involved my husband. Um, my husband, Woody, was, um, I was married to him almost 10 years. Uh, he had just started his dream job as vice president of sales with a startup company and was having trouble sleeping, which is not uncommon for entrepreneurs, um, not but all. not at all. And anyways, he was a guy that needed eight hours of sleep. So he did what he um, normally did. And he went in to see his physician because he, you know, trusted 
his doctors and, and the system, but he went into his doctor and he was telling him that he was having trouble sleeping and the doctor, his GP who he's gone to for years, just gave him some samples of an antidepressant Zoloft and said, hey, this should help take off um, the edge and help you sleep. So Woody being a good like military kid, follower of the rules, following you know, the system, went home with a three-week sample pack of Zoloft. And I, at that time, was out of the country. I was in New Zealand on a shoot, and I was in advertising and still am. But anyway, so he's on it. Um, week one, he's um, on 50, uh, 25 milligrams. Week two, it doubles his dose. So the, then for three weeks, I didn't see him because I was out of the country. When I came home, I'll never forget what I saw. Um, Woody was, I was super excited to see him. Um, I got home early from work. He came in the back door. He was like dripping sweat through his um, dress shirt, his blue dress shirt. And he always wore a t-shirt underneath. So you know how much um, sweat when it was just dripping through. And he was crying and he fell on, got into a fetal position on our kitchen floor with his hands around his head like a vice going, Kim, you got to help me. I don't know what's happening. To me. You got to help me, Kim. I don't know what's going on because my head's outside my body looking in. And I remember looking at him going, uh, first of all, I had no, like, I've never seen this in any of our time together um, in our 10 years of marriage and three years before that as in a relationship. So I remember like calming him down. We got him to calm down. I remember like using um, breathing and praying and anything to stop this feeling in his head. And so we got him calmed down. He called his doctor and the doctor said, you got to give it four to six weeks to kick in. Hmm. So Woody lasted another week. Um, and every night he would come home with like this can-do spirit of like, I'm going to beat this feeling. What do you, you know, um, should, um, hypnosis. What do you think about yoga? Breathe? I mean, we tried everything. Never did we once question the drug. Well, anyways, I go out of town for another shoot. I had not heard from him. And wouldn't I talked all the time because we both traveled a lot. And so we had our way of communicating every morning. We always left notes for each other. We talked all the time. And it was on um, uh, August 6th and I had not heard from him. And I was like, that's so crazy. He normally calls me in the morning. Then I called and I stopped sending him emails because back then we didn't really, I mean, we had cell phones, but they're not used like they are today. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, sent him emails. I called, then I called our home phone and I got a message saying, "Wood, you know, Tim, they called him Tim. Where are you? We've got this huge meeting. I was like, okay, something's not right because he doesn't miss meetings. He's super responsible. So finally I called my dad at like eight o'clock at night. Um, and I said, dad, do me a favor. Wood's been having trouble sleeping. Just go see if he hit his head or something. My dad um, goes over to my, my house and goes in the house, wasn't there. Then all of a sudden his car was out in the driveway, opens up the garage door and there's Woody hanging. Mm. And I'll never forget getting that call. I was in the middle of shooting in a studio in Detroit at, it was nine o'clock their time. And my dad's like, it's bad, it's bad. I'm like, what do you mean it's bad? And they're like, Woody's dead. I'm like, what do you mean Woody's dead? Like, it couldn't even, I couldn't even compre comprehend, what do you mean Woody's dead? And, um, and he said, he's hanging. I'm like, hanging? Like, what? Woody loved that. He was a guy who loved life. He had a, you know, a very different um, approach. He was, you know, we were just planning on our 10-year um, anniversary trip. Like, we just booked trip. We, he was, we, had a, we just had an um, anniversary trip or anniversary party for somebody. We were, you know, all of these plans that we had just made, it made no sense. 
And I remember um, the, the coroner that night asked if he was on any medication. And, and I said, uh, yeah, it's upstairs in the cabinet. I didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. Well, literally, it was on the kitchen table. This bottle, he must have had, it was almost like the first clue. It was almost like his note because he never left a note. It was the bottle of Zoloft and it was under a, a light. And she said, oh, Zoloft. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. She goes, oh, we're going to take it with us. It might have something to do with his death. And it was just like, what? This is 2003. So, you know, obviously my life had just fallen apart. My dad called my brother-in-law and sister and my mom and everybody's over there. And, and my brother-in-law went home that night and Googled Zoloft and suicide and found all this stuff that had come up. Meanwhile, the front page newspaper, the same day Woody died, had an article that said the UK finds um, link between antidepressants and suicide in teens. So all of these things just kind of almost, I say magically now because, you know, it's time has passed. But at the time, you know, all of these were clues that literally deep knowing that Woody would never do this. Um, you know, take, we're going to take this uh, drug with us. It might have something to do with it. And the front page of our newspaper. And literally my life had just fallen apart. But in the deepest part of me, I knew something didn't make sense. Like something did not make sense. Um, so anyways, you know, it was quite a journey since then. Um, but, you yeah, know. I have to stop you because I've, I've heard the story like, from the time we met, I read the article in Badasses over 50 that we've both been in and, you know, hearing you tell it again, I, I you know, I feel the pain in my chest um, for you and, um, and knowing, you know, how luckily I escaped, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, how luckily I escaped. What, you know, I get the why me's sometimes. So um, I know you didn't stop. I know that like right away you went on like, um, you know, you, you went on a fact-finding mission. Oh, and almost immediately, you know, obviously the first couple of days were filled with funeral and my life and getting, trying to get back to Minneapolis from Detroit, not my favorite airport. I will always have a little bit of a, you know, a trauma scar on there. But um, anyways, um, so almost immediately, my brother-in-law, um, well, I should, let me back up. So... After the funeral, I, we had all these picture boards down in my basement, um, down, and I remember coming down, I was by myself, and I was crying, and I was gripping my heart, like wanting to tear out my heart, and let me tell you, heart, heartache is real pain, and I don't know if I ever had that deep of a, a knowing, but so now when people say that they have this deep, aching heart pain, I get it. Um, I was trying to like claw it out. And I remember just crying over and over and praying to God, God, take my pain and use it. It does me no good. Take my pain and use it. I just, it was like my mantra. Cause I was just like, I didn't even know what to do, but I was just trying to like, take this out of me, take it out. Like I can't deal, like I cannot have this pain in me, like use it, use it. Um, little did I know what that would eventually become, um, that, but, you know, I also want to give you a little perspective of who I was before, uh, Woody died because, you know, I was living life. I was in advertising. I was busy all the time. Um, I, 
would never really, you know, I did some, I did, had a volunteer organization, Free Arts Minnesota, that I helped start, but I never really was that active in taking, you know, I was never like a pot stir or like, you know, going up and facing, you know, authorities or anything like that. And, um, and I remember Woody wanted me to get involved in trying to fight. They were putting two cell phone towers in the same corner of our neighborhood. And he wanted me to get involved and go uh, get signatures from our neighbors. And I said, are you kidding me, Wood? What's the point? You'll, you know, you're, I'm not going to walk around the neighbors to get signatures because you're going you're gonna to bring it to city council. You'll never win. It's a city council and two of the largest uh, cell phone tower or cell phone companies. And he said, I'd rather try like hell, Kim, and lose than do nothing at all. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, like I think Woody was my, um, I always call him my guru a little bit that I didn't realize in, in the time. But when I look back, he had all these Woodisms. And that's who I was before. Um, but then when there was this like deep knowing that something was wrong, like I just, we started my brother-in-law, who's my sister's husband, Eric Swan, I owe everything to him. He's the one that had so much faith in who Woody was, but also we had to um, defy what everybody else was saying because at the time, remember, there was no black box warnings. Everybody was like, oh, well, he must have been depressed. And I'm like, no, I don't, I'm telling you, he wasn't depressed. I know it in the deepest part of my head, you know, heart. And, and I remember people saying to Eric, like, you can't take Kim on this journey. She's already lost her husband. And I'm like, I don't care what they say, we're doing it. So we started, we started just Googling articles. We had binders with the articles um, that, uh, you know, that the FDA has known about this link between antidepressants and suicide in, since 91, when they held their first hearing on Prozac and, and uh, suicide in adults. At that time, they did nothing. And, you know, now we're talking, it's 2003, and eventually we were able to just go get out to DC enough and just, you know, pounding the pavement. Cause I think that article, when the UK found a link, um, people started to really push uh, members of Congress and the FDA to hold hearings. And um, like, sounds like you did not sit in victim mode very long, Kim. Like, um, no, I, you know what? I, of course, I did not sit in victim mode. And I, you know, I've often thought back about that. Where did that come from? You know, where did that come from? Where, who, and how did I become this? And I think part of it was, it was part of my, honestly, it was part of my grieving to get it and not focus on me, but like to go, if I can make somebody else not have to go through what we did and to learn the hard way, like, I think that was a huge part of um, my mission. And for me personally, because it was too late, like I already knew. And once I started uncovering this, it was like, what? Are you kidding me? How come we didn't know this? How come we didn't know this? How come no, you know, like it became this almost, um, it, 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 it almost insp- um, sparked something inside me that I think all of us have inside us, but whether or not we go deep and touch that spot or willing to um, face it because there's a lot of, that's not easy. Um, it wasn't easy for me to, um, to want to go up the, against the grain, go up and challenge, go up against big drug companies. You know, I ended up um, having a lawsuit against Pfizer 
and that was not fun, but I were, it was able to get documents out. And then all of a sudden there was like this power. I felt like there was energy behind what I was doing because it was on a greater purpose and mission than myself. So I think that is one thing I for sure did not stay in victim mode. It's not to say that I, you know, a lot of people would say to me, um, when they would see me after FDA hearings, um, Woody's story was definitely the adult poster child at that time because he really didn't have, he didn't suffer from depression. He didn't have a history where people could blame, you know, like look at the victim. You know, they always um, put the finger at the, the person who took the drug. Oh. Here's where it's interesting, right? Because I, I thought I had depression and the doctor friend of mine who came into my life helped me get off all the meds. And when we got through, he said, you didn't have depression, you had fear. And mm -hmm. the doctor didn't know how to treat fear. So he treated depression. And I remember telling you that on the onset, our, our, our initial call, and you made the, you used the phrase, you said, yes, you gave your power away. And I remember mm -hmm. when I hung up the phone that day, I felt like, oh my God, I, Wow, I, I never thought about that. I did. I gave my power away to a bunch of pills that I thought were, you know, going to make me happy or at least keep me from being sad. And I wasn't mm -hmm. sad, you know, amazingly. I was in fear, which caused me mm -hmm. to get sad. But we didn't treat the fear. So, um, well, fear can't be, I mean, the, at the end of the day, fear really can't be fixed by a pill. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. why you would never, of course, fear and some of those emotions, sadness, um, you know, anxiety. Those are things that the pharmaceutical companies have been able to kind of market and make you think that this pill will help you deal with things. But at the end of the day, you are so lucky that you had this doctor who I will never forget your story. I've told it many times where you're the first thing that your doctor looked at you and said, what are you on? Because, yeah. you know, that you were empty and could tell. And, and I know that you had to climb out of some deep, dark places, not only uh, getting off of the meds, because these are highly addictive. And people don't know that. They, you know, people are not told that when they get put on it. But you also had to, like, look at a lot of your own reasons and why did I get put on them? What was it? And you have to dig. And I always like to say that it's like a – um, a golf ball and I don't know if you were a kid that ever like broke the outside of a golf ball and then you started peeling away yeah like or an onion you just start peeling away and you have to like almost do that same thing you have to go inward and it's a really scary place and it's a lot easier to kind of numb things or whatever our numbing mechanism is yeah. And for, you know, for me, I think about this all the time. I get to this crossroads and who do you trust more than your doctor? Just like Woody, right? Who do you trust more than your doctor? One doctor's telling me that I need to be on it. One do doctor's telling me I need to be off it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was, I guess, lucky enough to push in all my chips, uh, you know, with the let's get off this stuff side and, and make it work. And you're right. I had to, you know, I, I did have to dig, deep and I've, I've never blamed a doctor. I, I, I kind of blame myself for not, for being, to, to, I rushed so quickly to numb the pain without asking the, the right questions that I was finally able to formulate when I got through with this whole thing. But, um, you know, uh, 
now Kim goes to battle with the uh, with the FDA and uh, creates awareness and risks. Tell us tell us about the heroic side. And, oh you know. well, I don't know if it's heroic other than it's what I had to. I, it's what I had to do. Uh, yeah. Like I said, but you know when you start finding out all of the influences that created this whole category of drugs, right? Yep. When I think about 1991, there were hearings on Prozac. The FDA uh, never did anything. Every one of those advisory board members who, when they held this hearing, every one of them took money from pharmaceutical industries that made antidepressant products. And they said, nope, we don't see any link here. Although when I look at the footage that was from 1991 hearings and I compare it to what was 2004 and 2006, they're exactly the same story. Hairstyles are different. You know, the fashion's a little different. The stories are identical. And at that time, the FDA did nothing. They told Eli Lilly to study suicidality. And meanwhile, here comes Pfizer on the market with Zoloft and um, GlaxoSmithKline with Paxil. They did nothing with it. And it wasn't until 2004 when eventually they did put a black box warning on for kids up to 18. But that was never really enough because, wait, I went through and started looking at these documents that, you know, and where you said you don't blame your doctor. I don't either. Now, today, I would say, you know what, doctors, if you're not doing your um, homework, well, shame on you. But back then, for sure, um, especially GPs, that's the majority of where these drugs are given is by our family physicians. Uh, there was a document that they, the chief, uh, chief medical officer for Zoloft was talking about a side effect of uh, Zoloft called akathisia, which was, you know, like you're shaking, head outside your body, you feel, you know, um, de detached. And, it, and that was in a journal article. But what, was, what came out of the lawsuit was a document that he sent out to the salespeople of Pfizer and said, the attached journal article is not suitable for general practitioners only neurologically inclined psychiatrists. So they intentionally kept that side effect away from GPs because they knew that 70 to 80% of their business was written by GPs. Um, uh, staggering. That's just... It's, it's criminal. Like it's criminal when people's lives are at risk. And then you start going through and you look at all the influences. So I don't know if your doctors, um, at your doctor offices in Illinois, you have the same thing that we do, but it's statewide and it's called, and it's pretty much countrywide actually. And it's accepted as a good screening tool. It's called the PHQ nine form. And it was, and it basically, it's the one that says in the last two weeks, have you felt sad? Have you felt less than worthy? Have you ate too much? Have you, have you felt, you know, like that you're not worth, you know, it's basically all these kind of questions. When was that adopted? When, 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 oh, you know, I would have to get you the exact year, but it's. I, I go back to 2009 and I don't. Re oh, I mean, it's been before then. It's been before then. But I think now it's more widely used and accepted as the screening tool. But most of the people, so at the bottom, it says, you know, I guess my advertising and Woody always wanted me to do something. He goes, you can do more than advertising. Well, ironically here it is because I created, um, I was really involved with the start of lease ads, um, you know, for cars. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that I learned way back then is it's always in the tiny copy, the tiny type, 
what the real story is, right? So I'm used to my eyes are trained to go look at the tiny type. And it said at the bottom of that form, a generous donation created by Pfizer Inc. Mm. And three doctors. And I was like, what? So I'm like, how many people know anything about those three doctors? Well, I also started learning about a new concept called key opinion leaders. Every one of those doctors that helped create that form get paid um, big dollars and have been um, have been experts in all of these lawsuits kind of against like a the drug. Team. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and so they become key opinion leaders. So then from there, I started learning about ghostwriting. So again, when you say that to your about doctors. Well, finding out one of the other documents that came out from under seal was the whole publication plan for, um, for I don't know which, I can't remember if it was, um, I think it was anxiety disorder, but they had the whole plan of where they were going to, what articles were running where and when, you know, what the title was, who the author was. But they had a couple of them um, that said Dr. TBD because they had to go get the doctors to put their name on it, but it was written actually by... Pfizer and all of their ghostwriting um, organization. So this is very common practice in medicine. Yeah, and you don't think you're a hero and you've discovered all of this, right? Like the layman has no clue whatsoever. And this brings me to a really, really interesting question. And I'm so happy because you just mentioned something that uh, uh, reminded me of this. A few weeks ago, somebody sent me um, a video of Lady Gaga being interviewed on Oprah, and she was very transparent about her mental health issues. And kudos to her for coming to the forefront and and um, and and making you know people aware. But she said something that was really disturbing to me. Um, she 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 highlighted the fact that people she was she's very very pro medication. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not anymore. I'm uh, but I'm but but I am for true mental illness. That's for sure. But she said you should never get antidepressants from a general practitioner, which made sense. And listen carefully to how she said this. And then I want you to comment. She said you should only go to your psychiatrist because they're brain experts. And I came home and I remember sharing that with my wife and she said, yeah. And I said, well, I thought psychiatrists were mind experts. Are they brain experts or mind experts? Because I'm confused there. So can you help me through that one? Well, I'm kind of laughing because there is no such thing. If you were to ask your doctor, could you do a test on this? Like to see my brain. So they're not brain. It's about it's mind and it's thought. And it's, if you actually go look at the DSM, which is the um, diagnostic statistical manual, um, which is gets voted on. They're basically um, a group of conditions that mostly insurance use it, but, um, but we can also use it, um, you know, they will use it for disorders. And, but if you go look at DSM-1, then DSM-2, DSM-3, DSM-4, it keeps growing of conditions. And we're on DSM-5 right now. And it, it is something where the psychiatrists um, are the ones that actually vote on, on this. Um, I feel like the pharmaceutical industry, you know, one of their biggest tools psychiatrists are is medication. That is a big tool. It is no longer about this ability to have conversation because our system isn't set up like that. So people believe that psychiatrists have all of the knowledge. Well, 
you know, do they know maybe how some of that thought, but are they being manipulated? Where, what kind of things, and how, are they being influenced by industry that they don't even know, or do they know? Or, you know, I have seen um, and heard many stories, because as you can imagine, I've been doing this for a long time, so I get contacted. And, you know, I would say the a bulk of the people do come from, through the GP route, um, from our GPs, but there are people who have come from psychiatrists that they um, literally are the ones that keep throwing more medications on top of medication for side effect on top of it, as opposed to taking a step back. Now, do I think all are bad? No, just like anything. I am not anti-medication. I am pro-information and pro-transparency. Right. I want I want the truth, and I think we need the truth. And I don't care if that truth comes from your GP. If you go and you work with a GP or you go to a psychiatrist, I know some psychiatrists that I have great respect because they know the system and they've seen it, and they are now trying to say, are there different ways that we can do, um, you know, work on this? Is it gut health? Is it um, are we doing different kind of, um, you know, the idea that you just said victim to you know, um, survivor or to hero, um, hero for you. Uh, we have is trauma. How much is trauma? How much are we talking about things that have happened in our lives that the only way we can get to it is what if your depression, your anxiety, your fear is the way that it is teaching you something? What if we're willing to sit with it and it's trying to teach you something like, Oh my God, my relationship sucks. I hate my job. I, you know, I don't know. I hear all these voices. I mean, I think all of us, you know, if I was to say the voices that come to me are all these little voices and stories, I'm not schizophrenic. And I do think that is a real disease, but for a lot of us, we do get these voices of like, you're not enough. You're a failure. And, and what are you trying to do? Like that stuff that you have to pay attention. And, and, you know, sometimes it, you, it's, you know, things that, you do need to work with somebody and, you know, and talk through this. Um, but I don't know this idea that we've come to a culture of a quick pill to make it go away. Now I'm just as guilty of trying to numb things out too. You know, I will never forget after Woody, uh, you know, people would always say, oh, you're so strong. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't see me when I come home. Like I come home to an empty house yeah, for whatever reason, God gave me the ability to be able to tell the story and be able to like look at people in the eye, like especially, you know, the FDA and Pfizer, because you've already took away the, the worst thing that could happen to me has already happened, right? But they didn't see when I came home to an empty bed, loss of all my dreams and what I thought my future was going to be. And I would, you know, fall apart. So I'll never forget one time my form of numbing, you know, at least it was never, um, I've just never been a big pill taker anyways, but I went to the um, Nordstrom and I bought literally 10 pair of shoes because it made me feel so good at that moment. I came, woke up the next morning and I'm like, uh, this is ridiculous. Why? And then I said, then all of a sudden I had to actually, why did you do that? Because somebody was paying attention to you. You felt like, so I made myself, it was embarrassing as all like get up to go back to Nordstrom and have to return every, but I let myself keep one pair, but I know I saw what I was doing. And right. so I think that's where part of our ability to go from victim to hero. And I like to call it, 
you know, I have a whole thing about victim thriver, survivor, victim survivor thriver, or the cocoon to butterfly. I love that. I love the cocoon to butterfly. That's yeah. We talk about the butterfly being your your symbol for um, peace. Is would you say or or um, well, it's or funny. Or, I would say I butterflies were never my thing until after Woody died. And then all of a sudden I'd be out running and there'd be a butterfly mm -hmm. and I'd be in the middle of somewhere that there shouldn't be a butterfly. There'd be a butterfly. Um, I will never forget. I have friends come to visit me at my house and literally there was a butterfly that landed on the, my car and I went and grabbed, um, and the butterfly got up on my, um, this monarch got up on my finger and it was almost like it was part of our conversation and then it flew off. It was really funny and thank God I wasn't the only one that saw it. Um, but anyways, I think why I like the power, so it's symbolic to, you know, it's for that, but also I think it's that idea of transformation and you think about what happens in a cocoon and what happens when I think about my own journey and all of our journeys is that I had to be in that really dark place and inside a cocoon is really dark, but that's where all the, and you don't see the growth and that's because it's inside you and can it doesn't. Can you elaborate just that we, I know we, we chatted the other day in advance of this and you mentioned the tunnel with the train and seeing the, 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 like the pinhole of light. Yeah. Well, I think of it as, you know, the darkness is what we're afraid of, but I think the darkness is really the real opportunity of where you have to sit in it and you might sit in it for a while. And, but I think eventually, so I'll never forget this. And it's a great visual. It was a film that was talking about grief and what grief is like. And, and I think grief or anxiety or any of our issues that we go through as humans, but sitting in this, you know, you're in a train and you know, you're going through like the, a big mountain tunnel and you know, you can't go around the mountain. You can't go up the, over the mountain. You can't, you know, you have to actually go through the mountain in order to get to the other side. Right. So you're in the mountain in the tunnel and it's pitch black and you're in it, in it. And then eventually you see this pinhole of light and you know, so that's that hope like, Oh, we're going to get through. Then eventually that little pin light becomes a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And eventually you're through it on the other side. And so I think that's the only way we can go through a lot of things in our life, whether it's, you know, somebody died. I mean, look at what's happening right now in our economy and the coronavirus. you know, everybody's panic and fear and uncertainty. It's challenging everything about us. And I think the only way we can actually we have to go through these times of great darkness in order to get to the other side of finding peace. But it doesn't mean that you won't go through another darkness. That, that, that is for sure. Yeah, right. I, I think, and I think that's, um, or I'm trying to explain that to my kids now, you know, about all the crisis that I've been through, maybe, Every 10 years, there's something new that surfaces, whether it was family life or work life or, a, you know, uh, this goofy um, uh, epidemic, who, who could predict? And, and just because you go through one doesn't mean that the next one. I can't hear. I can't hear you. Me now? I can hear you now. 
Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Sometimes the internet oh, froze again. Nope, I'm good. Oh, okay. I think we are better prepared this time around. Yeah. Um, and I know it because we were, we were uh, texting last night in advance. And we were both talking about getting up to do our workout before we were going to even, and that's an important, such an important component of my life. And I know it is for yours also, you know, yeah. to be able to combat, um, you know, what life throws at us and, you know, kudos to you for the, the journey that you're on and all the great work that you do. And um, I wish I would have known the questions to ask in advance, but I know them now. I know the questions that I want to hear uh, that I would ask people specifically to ask your doctor how long I'll be on these drugs. Mm -hmm. What are the side effects and can I get addicted? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any additional questions, but to me, those are so important. And what I find is it's, it's, I'm scared. I'm scared to say this that people don't want to know. They yeah, want the drugs to take the pain away. You know, I, th and I think that's the reality. I think the drugs are so much easier to take. Right, you don't have to think about it. Yeah. But the reality is, first of all, these are highly addictive drugs. They were first um, tested on. They were never meant to be anything more than short term. Yes. Now we have people that are on them for years. And unfortunately, they can't come off of them. Their bodies have become addictive. And so everybody has put so much emphasis on the um, opioid crisis, but we have a bigger problem with the benzos, the anti-anxiety drugs, and the antidepressants. People's bodies can't get off of them. And so try, I mean, you know, I mean, you're an example that you know the living hell you went through. But so- benzo, I get sick. I get sick. I, I get sick visualizing the letters of benzo. Yeah. And we have a huge problem. And, and so I think, you know, there's also now becoming more and more links um, to this increase of dementia that we have in our society. And they just had a study that they looked at and it came out of, it was really out of Blue Cross Blue Shield. So not even any research. It was like looking at all of their, um, their huge population that had, was recently diagnosed um, with dementia and they were young, you know, people 50 on up. And the thing that they all had in common was antidepressant products. Hmm. And so that, you know, I'm is it shrinking? I really am. I still, yeah. get, sorry to interrupt, but I'm a good interrupter, unfortunately, but I do get, um, I do get uh, foggy once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, I do uh, get headaches once in a while. Mm -hmm. I never go away. I don't, I, I try not to tell anybody to tell you the truth. I'm a lot of people hear it now, but it's just the truth. Yeah. Um, and they're not often, but they come and um, forgetfulness. I, you know, I'm, I'm getting older also, but these, um, I'm, I'm pretty aware of when the fogginess comes and, mm -hmm. and how long it's going to last. And I, I truly believe it's just a long-term effect yeah. on, being on meds for so long. And yeah, I was able to get off when I, when I did, you know, because I don't know how bad it would be right now. So Well, and that's it. Like, so that's one of the things. So that would be a question going back to, you know, what I would ask the doctor. First of all, real, like, is there something else I should be doing first? You know, challenging, you know, I, I know yesterday with, when you, um, with everything that's going on right now, it brought me back to that place of uncertainty and like, you know, and that's why I said it never goes away. It's just, I know where to go now, but um Yesterday, I had to go out and move my body and work because I was inside my head 
and feeling, start to feel like sorry for myself, you know, being trapped. Like I, you know, I'm, I don't have like beings around me, like a dog or, you know, anybody in my, you know, I was having one of those days. I'm like, get out and move. And so I did. So that's the thing I would say to somebody, even like asking their doctor, is it the first thing or is there food? Like what kind of food are we eating? You know, that we're adding to some of that. Uh, Then I would ask um, if you are going to get on it, find out like Woody didn't know that that drug that he got was actually was given it off label. And off label means that it wasn't approved for that condition. So I think any drug that you get, you should actually ask, is it approved for this condition? Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, for sure. Um, a lot of questions. And again, I, I know people are afraid to ask because they, they, they might, got, might not get the answer they want to hear and they want the pill so bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me right now, and I know for you, because I know you're a, a religious person and grew up a religious person, I use the phrase prayer over pill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah. it's Amazing how I could wake up at two in the morning and with my mind spinning and a great coach of mine used to refer to it as rehearsing for disaster, Mm. Uh, you know, and now I literally get on my knees and I just ask for three more hours of sleep so I could be the best version of myself. And I don't know. Well, I was going to say for me, you know, I have always been a person of faith, right? Like I grew up in it, but I don't think I really relied on it ever. I kind of feel like I had it all under control. I had it, I had it in control, right? Until that old, um, until that experience happened. Well, I'm going to say, give you just one example that I actually, that I need to give because it's um, something that was given to me but I actually think it's for everybody else. So after, you know, Woody, when I, when we met, he always said, when I die, just throw my ashes in Lake Michigan. Mm. Like, do not put me in the ground. Don't waste the um, environment. He was a huge environmentalist. So anyways, we're getting ready to um, throw Woody's ashes. We did the funeral. We did all that stuff in Minneapolis and Chicago, but we're in the middle of Lake Michigan where I, my brother-in-law and I, the one that I was willing, um, that has been helping me, and pretty much put it together, Eric. We're standing on the side of the boat. I'm holding this box of ashes and I'm and it was so surreal of like, this is what life comes down to. Like, this is Woody in this box. Like it made, you know, I was just going through all that. Anyways, we're getting ready to throw out the ashes again in the middle of Lake Michigan. And we look down and there's this book, this red book floating literally maybe a foot outside of the boat. And I, you know, it was literally this beautiful as if it was in a movie. And I said, does that say what I think it does? And he goes, yeah. In gold letters, it said the Holy Bible and it floated right by. And I think at that moment, I was like, I know it was like a sign for me of I'm here. Don't trust me. There's a purpose, Mm. you know, all of that. I also have had to rely on that many times, but I also think it's a gift for other people that, this is not our only thing. Like, this is not it in our, in our world. And I think, you know, we're afraid to talk about spiritual, but we are physical, spiritual, mental beings. And it all, and we just live in this physical body, but that is who we are. Yeah, my, uh, my, my favorite coach always asked me the question. He said, you're going to have to figure this out. Are you a human being having a spiritual experience or a spiritual being having a human experience? Mm, I love that. Yeah, I, I, you know, it took me a while to figure out the latter, of course, but um, 
All right, my final question. What does Kim do tomorrow when she wakes up? Not figuratively, like what's the mission? What, what, how do you keep this heroic thing going? You know, for me, I will always, you know, I still sit on the FDA. I will still continue to challenge because I kind of like it now because there needs to be somebody who's really pointing these things out. But I think at the end of the day, for me, it is about people to realize their inner strength and for them and find whatever their thing is that will pull them out because we are all made of the same capability and it's a choice that we get to make and ask ourselves. It's a constant moment by moment choice. Am I going to be fall victim to this or are we going to, um, are we going to like step it up and we get to choose how we handle and how we move. So that's an important thing is to be able to do more of these kind of things that we can inspire people to get out there and find their own, their own hero, their own butterfly inside them. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, thank you for all you do to, to, to create awareness and safety for all of us. That, that is for sure. And also, I, I know that you travel frequently for work and, uh, you know, we try to stay connected as often as we can. When I do see you pop up on Hour of Champions with a comment or a like, it sends so much energy to that group. So much, so much energy. So I just want to thank you for, for that. It really does. And, and for the people that you've introduced me to that, um, you know, that uh, Scott, uh, um, in particular, who I reach out to when the light gets dim for me. And I know I shared this with you the other day. Sometimes I'll just reach out to Scott and say, um, I'm just not sure. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll send him a note. I'm just not sure. And he sent me one back several weeks ago. It said, anybody can quit. You're not an anybody. And that was uh-huh. it. Sentences and it was. But you're not an anybody. It's so good. It's so spot on, right? Yeah. That was awesome. No, we're, we're, we're definitely a group of not anybody's. So. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you've done with Hour of Champion. I, you know, I think there is something powerful about the early morning. You know, it's what you do when you, you see in the morning, it maybe it's an uninterrupted time where you can actually spend your moments. You know, I spend my, I have my meditation practice, my gratefulness practice, and I go work out because I need to have it done. I, my friends all laugh because I'm in bed by, you know, I want to go to bed by like 9.30. Um, 8.30 here. So <laughs> too, all right, so. so I'm up a little bit later, but then you yeah. get up way earlier. But I think I love what the community that you're um, creating and want to see it spread more because I love the questions and the encouragement and the victim to hero idea. Right. Get people to move though, motivation, Minus transformation equals zero, a hundred percent of the time. Yep. So, thank you for sharing, Kim. You're you're a blessing to everybody. Honestly, oh, I'm so lucky to have met you, and as Scott would say, also to have you in my orbit, my family's orbit. And um, thanks. That's so great. An amazing rest of the day, and let's stay connected. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me.